chapter 10, verse 46 through 52. Father in heaven, we thank you that you are a good and gracious God. Wow, do you warm our hearts to sing to you. What, what a joy today to lift our hearts up to a God of mercy who has shown his mercy upon us, who, is, who has known us from the foundations of the world and would not let us go, sent his son who would draw us to himself and he would lose none of us. We're all reminded of those great truths, Lord, as we sung today together. Now, Lord, we turn our attention to your word, the perfect word. This is what you speak through. This is how you tell us who you are and what you've done. We need to know this, Lord. We need your word. It'll strengthen us this week. It'll encourage us. It'll, be a, it'll help make us worshipers instead of self-centered people, Lord. So break your word and break our hearts as we listen and pour into it, Lord. Father, there are many struggling in our church, Lord, that are going through health issues. Pray for some are in the hospital, even right this moment, Lord. We pray that you would be kind and gracious, Lord, and heal them. Give them strength, but cause them to know you better, Lord. We pray for those who aren't able to make services anymore and, and watch the daily feed here, in, even now, Lord. We pray for them, strengthen them, help them to know we love them, but more important, that you love them, and you will see them through to the end. So, Lord, we thank you that we can remember each and every person that you have called to be a part of this church, Lord. Father, we thank you for our missionaries scattered around the world. It's such a joy to be in partnership with them. They're preaching the gospel out there today, and, and in some cases already tomorrow, but they have proclaimed the truth. And Lord, we thank you that you let us partner with such wonderful men and women. And Lord, may we not forget them in our prayers and our giving and our involvement, Lord. Father, we pray for our team in Bahamas. Strengthen those men. Give them gospel conversations. Cause them to be a lighthouse in a very, very destroyed place, Lord. Give them strength and grace. May their speech be seasoned with salt, always speaking with the grace of God. And Lord, I pray you'd give us opportunity. Give us ministry down there to those who have been forgotten. Lord, we thank you for camp and the many years of camp that you've saved so many young people. And we pray, Lord, that you would continue that legacy. You would use camp to draw kids to you. You would strengthen the ones who do know you. And we pray as our staff works on this new change towards camp, Lord, that um, it'll be as great as we think it is, if not better, Lord, to reach young people, to meet them, to help them know Jesus Christ, to walk with him. And so, Lord, we ask that you bless the events and the, and the things that you are leading us towards, Lord. We thank you for this time together. In Jesus' name, amen. Events happen to us all the time. We don't always know why. <laughs> I will share one, a silly one, that happened to me this week. Earlier this week, I was grabbing an umbrella to run out, I don't know, do something outside one of our many downpours this last week. And the umbrella collapsed on me, and the spine hit me in the eye. And uh, my eye is extremely sore, and I can't really see out of my left one. So if I say things a little funny, I, I'm double seeing my notes, so forgive me. I thought, Lord, I, I really didn't need that. <laughs> I know you cause all things to work together for my good. I'm working on seeing that good. Lord, I didn't think I need this. 
And then I opened my Bible and remembered what I was preaching on in Mark chapter 10. And I laughed. And I said, Lord, (laughs) the blind Bartimaeus? What a great reminder sometimes when the Lord takes us through things to remember that he wants us to know the Bible but also live the Bible, to believe in the Bible, to be people who call out for the mercy of God in the time of great need. Well, in our text, our Lord is closing in on Jerusalem. He's making his way to the cross for you and I. It's pretty special when you start to read these texts. Jesus is a week away from his death. He's moving towards this last moment. But in our text today, Mark wants to record, he records uh, one last healing of mercy before he gets there. There are certain a few other healings that go on. He heals the centurion's ear in the garden. There's an unknown healing in the temple that we'll see. But it is the last of them of the real clear outlined healings of mercy that Jesus does. It's also one of the last miracles recorded before the cross. He curses the fig tree um, in the Passion Week. But other than that, this is probably one of the greatest last of his miracles before he gets to the cross. And I believe Jesus is going to use this healing in this passage, this miracle, to display the great miracle of salvation. This is what he does. He records certain events. God has these certain events recorded. Not all of the events. He didn't record all of it. In fact, uh, Brian and I were discussing this week that there was only 42 days of his life recorded in the Gospels. But we have a lifetime of learning from them. But he recorded certain events. God had certain events recorded because he leaks them often to our salvation. And this is one of those. From this period on, there are only recorded four conversions before the cross. That's all. And you say, well, well, who are those people? Well, we'll see in just a minute. One of them is Zacchaeus. Then this blind, blind man, possibly two. We'll talk about that in a moment. Then the thief on the cross. And then at the death of Christ, the centurion who cries out in repentance for the Son of God. And certainly there, there could have been more, I'm sure there were, but think about it, there's only 120 in the upper room. After three years of incredible ministry, amazing miracles and healings and feedings and all the things, not to even mention the perfect sermons that he gave, only 120 in the upper room. And so we realize there are many who are called, but few are chosen. These conversations are precious as we study them because the light is about ready to fade in the darkness of the cross momentarily. This is the last of the conversions on the other side of the cross. They were 11th hour conversions. It's a good reminder. God loves to save in the 11th hour. Brings him great glory. You and I would like him to save in the first hour if you're thinking of your children or grandchildren or friends or people you've been witnessing to. But God doesn't always work that way. Sometimes he is more magnified, more glorified by 11th hour conversion. We see that in these four men as they come to Christ. But here the redeeming work of Jesus Christ, his blood on the cross will wash back over Bartimaeus, over Zacchaeus, 
Wash back over that thief on the cross. Wash back over that centurion. They will be granted the righteousness of the Lord Jesus Christ in an eternal spot in heaven. This is an amazing text, and I hope you're encouraged by it. Let's look at a couple of thoughts this morning. Number one, take courage, Christian. God's still saving. Take courage, Christian. God is still saving. Look at verse 46 with me as we turn now to our text. Mark chapter 10, verse 46. Then they came to Jericho, period. And as he was leaving Jericho with his disciples, a large crowd, and a large crowd, a blind beggar named Bartimaeus, the son of Timaeus, was sitting by the road. Now, Jesus, as you remember, has been traveling around in this bit of a triangular movement before he times his coming into Jerusalem. He's been in Bethany to raise Lazarus. He's been through Ephraim. He's been over to Pira, which is just across the, the Jordan. And now he's making his way into Jericho. And from Jericho is straight uphill in a sense, even though it's south. It's straight uphill to Jericho, 15 to 20 mile walk. Bible says that he came into Jericho. Notice it has a period in your text after that. And then the very next phrase says, and as he was leaving Jericho. So, so what's going on here? Well, Jericho is an interesting place. I, there, in, in this time, there was basically two sites, really three. There was the Old Testament site that, you remember, the nation walked around and, and shouted and cried out, and God destroyed the city, and it fell, and... and uh, there they took possession of, of that city and destroyed it. But just south of that, there was a little city, that a little Jericho that came along later, particularly in Jesus' time, that was kind of a makeshift city. And just tied to that city, where Jesus is probably entering into this one, was the city that Herod, King Herod, rebuilt. And he put a stamp on it. It was a revitalization type of effort from King Herod. And he made Jericho beautiful and he made it wealthy. Thus, that's where Zacchaeus is, the tax collector. So you see this phrase. And then the next phrase says, as he was leaving. So, so he comes, he's coming in, and then some kind of event happens. And then as he's leaving, there's another event. And that's where we find blind Bartimaeus. Now, Mark is noting that something happened when Christ arrived Jericho and something happened when he left. Um, now, what this first phrase is referring to is the conversion of Zacchaeus. And I thought it would be fun just to look at it for a minute. Turn to uh, Luke chapter 19. For many of us who were raised in church, uh, we've heard the stories of Zacchaeus, right? He, he was a wee little man, wasn't he? I think someone was Irish that wrote that. Um, <laughs> Uh, and we, we know him to be short in stature. And, and we get lost in that sometimes, right? We get lost in David getting the five stones. But the stories are about God. <laughs> about the greatness of God. And this one is true indeed. And so as he's entering Jericho, look at Luke chapter 19. Let's see what he does. He enters Jericho. That's why Mark is recording both this entrance and this leaving and was passing through, there was a man called by the name of Zacchaeus. He was a chief, collect, uh, chief collect, tax collector, and he was rich. Zacchaeus was trying to see Jesus and was unable because of the crowd, for he was small in stature. He was height challenged, we would say, in the politically correct world. Verse 4. So he ran on ahead and climbed up into a sycamore tree in order to see him, for he was about to pass that way. 
Something's happening in Zacchaeus' life. You know, I think sometimes you can read these stories and go, well, okay, he does this and he does that, but God's moving. And out of all the people, all the people God has dealt with, he brings forth people so we know how he works. He's moving in this little man. And he's pushing him to a place where he is going to have a personal, divine interaction with this short little man. Verse 5, when Jesus came to the place, he looked up and said to him, notice Jesus came to the place. He knows where he's at. Zacchaeus, hurry and come down, for today I must stay at your house. And he hurried and came down and received him gladly. Ooh, that's a pretty good statement. (laughs) That's the mark of faith taking shape in a life. Jesus is now joyfully received. You're not afraid of him anymore. He is not your judge. You now want to receive him. You can see the transformation that's going on in Zacchaeus' life. Verse 7, and when he saw it, they all begin to grumble. When they saw it, there's all these others that are looking on. They want something different from Jesus, saying, he has gone to be the guest of a man who is a sinner. Amen. That's what I wrote in my Bible right there. Jesus came to the sinners. That's what he does. He saves sinners. If you're not a sinner, you'll never see God. Now that's a lie if you say you're not a sinner, right? He saves sinners. See see what God's doing? The word of God is showing us this is the conversion of Zacchaeus. He's longing. There's now an internal drive within him to see the Savior, to meet him. He's rejoicing to see him. He knows he's a sinner. He's being mocked by others. And the Lord has come to him. Verse 8, Zacchaeus stopped and said to the Lord, Behold, Lord, half of my possessions. And here this narrative just moves quickly through this. But he has, has a change of heart. Half of my possessions I will give to the poor. And if I've defrauded anyone, I will give back four times as much. Wow, what a trust in God. That's bankruptcy right there, isn't it? I'll give it all away for you, Jesus. You're everything I need. There's a huge change of heart that's happening to this man. This is the one of four men that we see recorded in the scriptures that come to Christ before the cross. And Jesus said to him, today salvation has come to your house. Jesus marks that today you have received me. This is a divine appointment my Father in heaven had set down before the foundations of the world, and I am here to fulfill that divine appointment. What an amazing statement. Salvation's come. Salvation's come. Verse 10, he says, For the Son of Man has come to seek and to save that which is lost. Isn't that amazing? What a text. That's what Jesus does with us. You know, so often I think we think that, well, you know, I came to Jesus. You didn't come to Jesus. He came to you. Brothers and sisters, we've got to get that down. Because you'll, you'll misuse him. He comes and finds us. That's what he does. He knows us. And the Father draws us to the Son. What a blessed text. Turn back to our, our text in Mark chapter 10 as we now begin to interact with Blind Bartimaeus. Now the next part of this phrase in this verse 46 says, as he is leaving Jericho. Uh, Matthew records the timing of the healing as well. Matthew chapter 20, verse, uh, chapter 20, verse 29. But you can see the scene here, can't you? Jesus has entered some part of Jericho. He has a predetermined salvific appointment with Zacchaeus. He, he knows Zac. 
He knows Zach, and he, and he, he draws Zach to himself. Right, man? Appreciate that, Zach? Amen. Zach Murray came to faith a couple weeks ago. So he has this divine appointment. He takes care of that. He comes. He brings Zacchaeus to him. After saving Zach, they celebrate with a great event at his house. And then Jesus spends the night at Zach's house. And it seems the next day he continues this journey to Jerusalem to provide atonement work for Zach and all others who will believe. But he has one more, one more divine appointment in Jericho. Isn't that amazing? And just think about Jericho itself this godless pagan nation that held a prostitute within it who alone put her faith in God to save her. And here he is, thousand years later, back to save two souls out of this town. And so we find him in his divine appointment. I I love just to think about how God saves. Jesus said in John chapter 6, verse 37 and following, he says, all that the Father gives me will come to me. That's a promise. Do you know that? I mean, I hang on to that. I, I, like you, I prob- you probably, like me, have people we're praying for that don't know the Lord Jesus Christ. When we read these texts, we, we find great promises. All that the Father gives me will come to me. Do you think Zacchaeus was going to miss that appointment? Do you think blind Barmaeus would miss this appointment? Oh, oh, all that the Father gives me will come. He misses none of them. The text goes on to say, the one who comes to me I will certainly not cast out, for I have come down from heaven not to do my own will, but the will of him who sent me. This is the will of him. Okay, he's gonna tell us what the will of God is, who sent me, that all that he has given me, I lose nothing. (laughs) Wow, that's good. Brother and sister, he's not gonna lose you. You are not some salvific uh, hiccup (laughs) where you stumbled your way into Christ. You're a gift from the Father to the Son. That's an amazing and humbling statement, isn't it? He says he'll lose none of them and he will raise them up on the last day and give them eternal life forever and ever. What a statement. The hour of salvation is not finished, good friends, until God himself completes his work. And I, I hold to these Like you, we have family members, we have loved ones, we have people we know we are pleading with God to save. His work is not finished. He he will complete it, though. This is the work of the Father and the work of the Son. Notice in verse 1, though, that Jesus said said, um, that his disciples were, excuse me, that with Jesus and his disciples a large crowd. So here's this large crowd going through and now working their way out of Jericho. Well, I think there's several reasons going on. Remember, there's a divine triumphal entry coming. And it is an entry, and we're going to get to that in the next text. Oh my goodness, was that amazing entry. A week before his death, less than a week before his death, what comes with him is amazing. So it's gearing up for that. God has a divine triumphal entry coming. But you also have a crowd of people who saw him resurrect Lazarus from the dead. You have now a crowd from Zacchaeus' home and maybe in many other tax collectors and sinners that are following now Jesus. And then you have this growing crowd of Passover, of people headed for Passover. They're coming down from the north and they're making their pilgrimage to Jerusalem for the annual feast of the Passover. 
It's an amazing time, and this crowd is growing. Many of these people have skirted around Samaria because they would not put their foot on Samaritan ground. They've crossed the Jordan several times, and they've come and they've gathered in Jericho for their last stop as they make that long walk up the hill towards Jerusalem. This crowd is possibly huge, massive. Many historians say there's at least two to three million people coming to Jerusalem for Passover at this time of year. I'm trying to give you an understanding. When it says a large crowd here in verse 46, this could be hundreds if not thousands of people migrating together to Jerusalem. But far more important than the large crowd is this divine appointment with one man. The Bible says his name is Bartimaeus, the son of Timaeus. Only Mark mentions his full name. None of the other writers do. Matthew mentions that were two, there were two men. But of these points, um, it's important to note that Mark is most likely um, recording the sermons of Peter. Peter is referring to this man particularly because of the significance of his salvation. Many people believe that his name being mentioned, and not just his name, Bartimaeus, but the son of Timaeus, is a marker that this man possibly was a well-known member of the, of the early church. Think about it. It's possibly his whole family came to know Christ, the way he's named in this. It's possible Bartimaeus was part of the 120 in the upper room waiting for the Holy Spirit to fall upon them in the birth of the church in Acts chapter 2. Maybe he witnessed that. Maybe he was there as Peter spoke and everyone heard in their own tongues as he prayed that God would use Peter as he preached the great message of Acts chapter 2. Josephus tells us that many of these men, like Bartimaeus and Lazarus, that were later martyred because of their devout faith in Christ alone. And you say, well, what happened to the other one? Matthew says there were two well, it's really no way to know. It's possibly he fell away. He's, he's not mentioned. And, and let me just give you a scenario that would help you maybe understand this. I don't know if it to be true, but remember the ten leopards? How many came back? So you begin to remember that there are many who heard it, many who rejoiced in him at times, but later it was just for self and gratitude. I mean, think about those ten leopards. You're going to die if you have leprosy in this time. I mean, it's, it's not hopeful for you to make it. And Jesus Christ cleanses them. One comes back. One comes back to worship the Lord and show him gratitude. So we're not sure what happened to this other one. But this is a marvelous verse because it, it reminds us that God is in the business of saving people. He's not done yet. And when God truly saves, his children are known for being followers of Christ. Did you catch that? When God saves, his children are known for being followers of Christ. Not hang around the fringe. Not hope if I go to church, God will bless my business type of hanging around. They are followers of Jesus Christ. And unashamed. Paul says, I am unashamed of the gospel. I'm unashamed of the gospel. We rejoice in the Lord Jesus Christ and we follow in behind him. Now, previously, before his salvation, blind Bartimaeus has picked a spot. You can kind of see this in the scene here. He's picked a spot along the road that is coming out of Jericho that is on the way to Jerusalem. He's attempting to solicitate people on their way to Passover. And this is a great idea. 
you got all kinds of people headed to Jerusalem. Millions of people pass by. You pick a really good spot down on the light in the corner down here in Granada. Um, and you beg for alms. And it's a religious holiday. So people are more giving. Sound familiar? He's doing everything he can to try to survive here. He's picked the right spot. He's, he's right where he needs to be. And he's hoping that people will look to their own self-righteousness and give him alms. But little did this temporary thinking blind man know what God had in store for him. Listen, don't give up on people. Don't give up. God loves to save. And, and I would imagine if we could have a conversation with blind Bartimaeus' family, how hopeless they probably thought of him. Blindness was a terrible disease in this time of life. It is always a terrible disease, but it meant you were a sinner. You were unclean, and you were rejected. Second thought, many want a man, few beg for a savior. Many want a man, few beg for a savior. Luke chapter 18, which is the other count in Luke, uh, verse Verse 36 says that the crowd, he heard the crowd coming. And, and doubtlessly a crowd this size, this blind man, this blind Bartimaeus, could hear them coming and he begins to ask what's going on. Look at verse 47. And when he heard that it was Jesus the Nazarene, he began to cry out saying, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. Here Mark records the, the answer the people gave him. Someone must have informed him, it's Jesus of Nazareth. He must have said, what's going on? What's happening here? Now, notice the term the people use. They call him Jesus the Nazarene. Well, for most of Jesus' ministry, and even after that, and even after his resurrection, Nazarene, the Nazareth, was, a, was derogatory. Acts chapter 24, verse 5, Paul has gone to trial. There's people trying to convict him to death. They say this about him, Acts 24, 5. For we have found this man, speaking of Paul, a real pest and a fellow who stirs up dissension among all the Jews throughout the world and a ringleader of the sect of the Nazarenes. Nazarene was like, Puh. And so usually that's how it's, how it's used. I think here it's just identifying this man that's from Nazareth, certainly the stories of Jesus' healings, the feeding of the thousands upon thousands have made it way down to him, and they're marking him. But I want you to know they're thinking about a man. It's the man, it's the man from Nazarene. Now, there's a strong contrast here that begins to arise. At the news of Jesus, Bartimaeus at once begins to cry out loudly. Look, notice that in verse 47. And the verb to cry out here is in this present uh, continuous tense. He's, he's repeatedly doing. He's, he's over and over. And, and the longer he goes, the louder he gets. And the more urgent he has the plea for the son of David. The crowd saw Jesus just as a man. They see him as the man from Nazareth. He's a miracle worker. He's a welfare leader. He's possibly, maybe, hopefully, the one who can, who can get these stinking Romans off of our backs and let us be back on top again. That's how they view Jesus. But notice in verse 47 that it shows a distinct difference of how Bartimaeus and the crowd respond to him. See, the Bible teaches that faith must precede repentance. Something's happening in this man. He, he is not like the rest who are after Jesus. Something's preceding him. Something's moving within him. Repentance produces a response of worship. 
He's using terms that nobody else is using. He's desiring mercy. He's crying out, son of David, have mercy on me. He's crying for the one thing that he knows God can do for him. Everybody else is looking for food and healings and miracles. God's gift of salvation through faith alone causes one to cry for the mercy on our soul. I don't know about you, but when I get saved, when I got saved as a young boy, I said, Lord, you've got to have mercy on me. I realized I was not fit to live in heaven. Left to myself, I was a sinner. I was unholy to live with a holy God. And so even as a young boy, and, and however words I gathered it together, by the grace of God, you cry out and you say, God, I, I'm unworthy. Will you have mercy on me? Somehow, you, even in a young boy, can cry those things out. See, Jesus isn't some, well, I'll put a little hope in the back pocket here in case this whole thing's going to go down. When you get saved, when you truly know the Lord Jesus Christ, oh, oh, do you cling to his mercy. And you can see what's happening. Faith is preceding repentance and blind Bartimaeus is crying out. He's not crying out to the man of Nazareth. He's crying out to a merciful Messiah. He's chosen his words carefully. He's been guided by God. And this true God-giving, saving faith gives him words that don't come from depravity. You are the son of David. You are the long-expected one. You are the only hope. You have mercy and I need it. <laughs> That's salvation. That's an amazing statement that's coming out of this nobody. Cries out, son of David, this is the promised greater brother. This is the promise of Jesus Christ coming, a kingdom that will last forever, a kingdom that will have no end. This is who he's speaking about. He's speaking about one that won't fail, that, that won't fall to another regime, to another election, He's talking about one who will serve and rule forever. This has got to be God working in him. How does a blind beggar sitting on the road, someone of insignificant stature, cry this stuff out if it isn't God moving in him? And that's why this is recorded in here. Same words are used by the Canaanite woman in Matthew chapter 9 as she cries for salvation from her heart. See, this is a title of a coming Messiah and the only one who could rescue them. And Bartimaeus continues to call. He continues to call on the son of David with, with an amazing appeal for mercy. I love, I read this over and over and over and I said, wow, Lord, that's salvation. Please do that in our church. Do that in our neighborhoods. Cause people to beg God for mercy. People were after his healing, they were after his food, they were after his, fa his favor. Even his own disciples were after power and authority, but this man's crying for mercy. Isn't that a difference? Isn't that a difference? Notice there's nothing attached to his plea. He's just saying, son of David, have mercy on me. Son of David, have mercy on me. Son of David, have mercy on me. There's nothing attached to it. He's empty-handed. He doesn't have anything to offer this Savior. But faith has come before repentance. Man can't do this on his own. This is God working in this blind man's heart. Look at verse 48 with me. Many were sternly telling him to be quiet. But he kept crying out all the more, Son of David, have mercy on me. The Jesus of Nazareth people, that are just the man people, that look at him just as a man, they're rebuking Bartimaeus. 
They're rebuking his new faith. Luke 18 account says that those, plural, who, who led the way were sternly telling him to shut up is actually the Greek word. <laughs> it's very strong. You're embarrassing us. See, this man was a nuisance to them. He's deemed worthless to society. He's miserable and he's helpless. Be quiet. Very contrasting views, isn't there? One man's crying for mercy and the other people are saying, hush. They never would have thought that Jesus would be interested in a man like this. You catch that? Verse 48. There is no thought in their mind whatsoever that Jesus would be interested in this man. And yet that's exactly who he's coming for. This is exactly who the Father has chosen before the foundations of the world to bring to himself. And so they just try to shut him up. But Bartimaeus didn't have to be convinced that he was worthless. <laughs> he didn't have to, you didn't have to tell him that. He, he knows he's nothing. He's a poor beggar sitting on a road. You didn't have to tell him that. He, he knows he has nothing to offer. He knows he's miserable. He knows he's helpless. And that's why he's crying out. That's the difference. And brother and sisters, when we cried out for salvation, we had to get to that point where you go, I got nothing. The only thing I offer you is my sin, Jesus, that you had to die for. You don't come to Jesus with going, look, here's my stature, here's what I've done, here's who I am. He will say, I never knew you. And I love this about this man. He's worthless, miserable, helpless, and he knows it. The Spirit has awakened him. And he knows he needs a merciful Savior. Most people are looking for a human hero when they need a merciful Savior. Third, when the Master calls the the save jump. When the Master calls the save jump. Look at verse 49 with me. And Jesus stopped. And he said, call him here. So they call the blind men to him, saying to him, take courage and stand up. He is calling for you. I love this little phrase, Jesus stopped. <laughs> he, he's hearing this man. And, they, and there's many have been calling for healings and for food and for power and for authority. But this man keeps using his eternal title. And Jesus stops and he hears it. And Jesus knew and understood that his father had a unique call on this man. That's what's, why it's coming out of him this way. Jesus knows that the Father's working and he's doing the work of the Father. And so he recognizes this. The Father's calling someone and there's a great response happening here. And so Jesus responds to this man and he stops. Now remember, this large crowd and the busy road and this whole group of people working their way to Jerusalem. And remember, a Passover was, was not probably handled the way it should have been. It's, it's time off. For a whole week you go to Jerusalem. You're away from work. It's, it's, it's more of a great holiday. So the kids are playing and running and it's, it's loud. And, and through all of this, Jesus hears this man because his plea is way different than anyone else. Jesus was always in tune to what the Father was doing. In John chapter 5, verse 17, he said, My Father is working until now and I am working. You know what that means? He says, Whatever the Father does, I do. We are one. We sang a song this morning 
that talked about Jesus being God just puts the name of Jesus and replaces it with God in there. And I thought, as we were singing, I said, Lord, there's no one else but true Christians that can sing that song because every religion of the world denies Jesus to be God. There's so many songs that we sing that the rest of the religious world can't sing by truth because they don't believe that Jesus is God. But Jesus here in John 5, 17 says, whatever the Father's doing, whatever the Father's working on, I'm working on as well. You know what they're working on that day? The salvation of a blind man <laughs> together. So he hears him in this cry above this indifferent crowd. And Jesus knew that the father had chosen Bartimaeus and he calls him. Notice he calls him. Um, two, two interesting responses here. The crowd was previously bothered by this man, right? He was a nuisance. He was in the way. Get out of the way. We've got all these people coming in and Jesus is coming and we're headed to Jerusalem. Not to mention he's a sinner. Remember in John chapter 9 when, when Jesus comes to another blind man and the disciples said, who, who sinned, this man or his parents? Remember that? John chapter 9. So they automatically relate it being blind with being sin. This is the way they thought. So, so the blindness and sin are connected in this ancient world but, but now their response all of a sudden changes. So Jesus is calling him, right? So they call the blind man, saying to him, take courage, stand up, he's calling you. As I studied this, I began to tear this kind of apart. It, it sounded like it was kind of like of a, they're on the Price is Right game show. They, they're, they're all doing everything they can to be picked by the host, which is Jesus. But when somebody else is picked, you have to act happy. So the last thing they wanted was this guy to get the attention. He's a dirty, blind beggar, and he's in our way. Oh, go get him. I don't think they're thrilled at all. They're not happy for this man. They wanted something else from Jesus. But God knows the hearts of all men, and this, uh, to them, they say, this miracle worker's calling you. <laughs> the command to take courage and stand are imperatives. They're almost very self-centered. They're, um, get up and present yourself. It's a very outward thinking. Get up, present yourself to this, to this man of Nazareth. But Bartimaeus' response is quite different than the crowd's. Notice in verse 50, look what he does. Throwing aside his cloak, he jumps up and came to Jesus. It certainly appears God already granted him saving faith so he could cry out, Son of David, have mercy on me. But this cry of Jesus' divine messianic title was followed by a response. He's moved. He's got to do something, right? First, he throws aside his cloak or his garment. The word, the Greek word is to cast away, right? The image is probably one or the other. It's a garment that maybe he had over himself because it was cool or something. Um, but it would not be like blind people to throw something far away like I don't know where it is. They need stuff in, in their reach, right? So, so maybe, maybe let me give you another option. Maybe he had his garment spread out in front of him. So you could throw alms or um, money of some sort in there and he could find those thrown in his garment. But what's amazing is this guy chucks this stuff, right? Not only does he, and not only does he cast this garment aside, he jumps. He jumps up and comes to Jesus. This verb here is only used once in the scriptures, all of once. Um, but its roots used for leaping, but more importantly, it's used of the raising of the dead, this verb here. 
Remember that song we sing, we, we ran out of the grave? That's the idea here. I mean, this dude goes, that's my savior. Blind people of this stature, of what was going on in this ancient world, just don't jump up and start running. This man knows Jesus. He wants him. He's coming to him. His faith has led to repentance. His repentance has led to a response, and he is moving towards the Lord Jesus. How fitting to describe Bartimaeus' reaction to Jesus, isn't it? And this is how true saving faith reacts. It casts aside everything else. It, it throws away those things that we thought were important, our alms, all the coat that he had. He throws that aside because nothing is more important than getting to Jesus. Hmm. I hope we think that. Nothing's more important than being with your Savior in the morning, reading your Bible. Nothing's more important than the God-given faith that he's given you. You cast off everything for this. Because without it, we have no hope. Jesus so often uses these physical events to display spiritual truths. Second Timothy chapter 1, Paul is talking about the greatness and the power of the gospel, which is the power of God, and he says this, verse 9, who has saved us and called us with a holy calling. That's exactly what's going on here with blind Bartimaeus. He has saved him, and he's called him with a holy calling, not according to his works. He's cast off anything he has. He's coming to the Lord Jesus, but according to his own purpose, God's own purpose and grace, listen to this, which was granted in Christ Jesus from all eternity. Do you know a bazillion years ago, Jesus Christ, the Father, the Spirit, the triune God, knew blind Bartimaeus and knew this moment. Now put it into perspective. He knew you. He knew your moment. It, it's, I mean, that gives me chills. And I've been preaching a long time, and I love to preach on Christ. That, that moves you, doesn't it? That God had a divine appointment with a wretched blind, lost sinner. And he comes and gets us. Fourth, the master illustrates his power. The master illustrates his power. Notice in verse 51, in answering him, Jesus said. In answering him, Jesus said. It is, he's either, either answering Bartimaeus's persistent cry that Jesus is the son of David and, and begging for mercy, or Jesus just knew his heart because he knew the heart of this man, which was reflected by him as he's approaching him. So, so Mark doesn't even record what, what blind Bartimaeus is asking, but the Bible says Jesus answered him. He knows what's going on in his heart. And then he says this great statement, isn't this man, what do you want me to do for you? I love it when Jesus asks questions. Because it's kind of funny, isn't it? You already know the answer, don't you? <laughs> Why does he do it then? He's proving to us what is going on in our life. He doesn't need the answers from us. Oh boy, I didn't know that. He wants us to speak clearly what we believe. He wants to know from our hearts, and so here he addresses blind Bartimaeus, what do you want me to do? for? It's kind, it's considerate. Jesus is desiring for this man, this blind man named Marta, uh, Bartimaeus, the son of Timaeus. He wants him to articulate his faith. He wants him to speak clearly. 
And the Lord questions, the Lord's question reveals a different attitude, doesn't it? You know the same question was just asked in our previous text? James and John, remember that? Uh, what do you guys want me to do? For Oh, no, 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 they said, Lord, we have something to ask you. What do you want? We want you to do whatever we ask you to do. <laughs> Very different, isn't it? James and John were seeking power and authority. Can we sit on your left and your right? We'll let you choose, but that's what we want. Bartimaeus comes seeking mercy. They're seeking power and authority. Bartimaeus needs healing. He needs a merciful Savior that'll do something that he cannot do. What a contrast. And here, think about this. The high king of heaven, the son of God, the second member of the Trinity incarnate, the chosen Messiah, now offers to serve this outcast this lowly and this unworthy sinner. And that's exactly what verse 45 said, right? For even the Son of Man did not come to, to be served, but to serve and give his life a ransom for many. He's doing it. Right after he makes that statement, now they're engaged with something just a short time later where he proves, look, that's my job. That's what I'm going to do here. To Bartimaeus, this is amazing, he calls him Rabboni. He uses an Arabic term here. It means my master. He, he's bending the knee to the Lord Jesus Christ. Matthew and Mark record the word that he uses, Kyrios, my Lord. So most likely he used both words to express his desire for Christ. My master, my Lord, as he falls before him. Bartimaeus is placing himself under the submission of Jesus Christ's lordship at this moment. This is the mark of repentance. This is the mark of saving faith that brought this man to repentance and brought a response out of him. You are my master. You are my Lord. Too many people say flippant prayers or believe in Jesus half-heartedly. That's not the case of the saved. He's all we got. Without his mercy, we die eternally and you cry out interesting enough these same words are used by Mary Magdalene in the garden after Christ's resurrection similar words are used by Thomas in the upper room see Jesus is not some teacher Rabboni to Bartimaeus, he's his only hope for mercy. He's his master, his Lord. Notice at the end of verse 51, Bartimaeus says, I want to regain my sight. Well, first off, it's an open confession of his faith in Jesus' ability to do something he cannot do or he doesn't have. When you and I confess our sins and ask Jesus to receive us, we are confessing to him, I have a problem that I cannot fix. I am blind, I am dead, I am separated from you, I am eternally damned. I need you, Jesus, to save me. And it sums up in this phrase, I, I need my sight. I need to see you. Second, I think Bartimaeus only sought mercy in order to receive what he did not deserve. He needed mercy. Matthew records that Jesus was moved with compassion and he healed him with a touch. Luke records that he spoke healing to him and Mark just simply says, go. And I believe Mark is emphasizing the power of his God-given faith. God granted this man faith. And he just says, 
go. Notice in verse 52, very important, it says, your faith has made you well. Um, I think if I was to translate our modern Bibles, I would translate it, your faith has made you saved. Sozo is the word there, a Greek word used for salvation throughout, throughout the the New Testament. First Corinthians chapter 1, verse 18, for the word of the cross is foolish to those who are perishing, but to those who are being sozoed, saved. It is the power of God. Ephesians 2, 8, 9, for by grace you have been saved, sozo, through faith, not through yourself. It is a gift of God. First Timothy 1, 15, it is a trustworthy statement deserving a full acceptance that Jesus Christ came into the world to sozo, save sinners. That's what the Bible teaches. And so here, what a statement Your God-given faith has made you saved. That's how we would translate that. Not only by that passage, but by all of the theology of Scripture, wouldn't it? Now, now you think, well, wait a minute here. He says, your faith. And I know our charismatic friends love to run with this text, and the teachings on it are very unbiblical. Why does he say it, your faith, then? Isn't it amazing how personalized he made our faith? He gave it to us. But it is not faith for whole, all of blind Bartimaeus' family, for everybody that's on the road there to Jericho. His faith was given to him. It is your faith. It is a gift from God. He did not give it to everyone that day. He gave it to him. It is not about, well, I empowered myself by my faith to make myself well. That's so far from the context of this passage. It is an abuse of scripture by so many prosperity gospel teachers. This passage is about Christ. It's about how he saves people and makes the blind to see and the dead to live. That's what he does. It is not about the strength of someone who can faith their way to God. Think about that. God has granted this man faith. When we sing about healing in our songs, we sang last week, there was a word that saw healing in there. When we sing about healing, it is not talking about healing physically. It is talking about the healing God did to us spiritually. We were sick people. Amen? We were a mess. We are dying and headed to hell. That needs healing. That's what the text is about. Brother Dwayne, I was in your house. I watched as Linda was dying. I watched you and Linda and your family do everything humanly possible, good stewards of Linda's body, to try to get the health care she needed. But Dwayne, I want to say this to you. There was a day I watched you guys say, this is God's will. Because more important than my physical health is the mercy God put on Linda many, many years ago. And I want to tell you, brother, I wrote it in my notes. I want you to hear this. I was hoping you're here today. I was so encouraged by that. And I watched your family trust the Lord Jesus Christ, trust the providence of God as he took your sweet wife into his presence. Knowing, knowing that you were satisfied with a merciful God. I want, to know, I want you to know how we were all encouraged by that. Many of you others that are in here have lost loved ones this year or in the past. There's a point where you get to the point where you are completely satisfied with the will of God because receiving mercy is greater than temporary healing. God wants 
our testimony to live on and Linda and yours is living on. Finally, one last thought here. Notice the master tells Bartimaeus to go. <laughs> tells him to go. Go, your faith has saved you. Well, whose faith is it? And what would he do with it? Would he be like the 10 leopards that don't care? But notice in the text, this is very clear in the last verse there, the last phrase, and he began to follow him on the road. The verb tense describes a continual action of following. He doesn't leave Jesus. And Bartimaeus leaves everything behind, what little he had. Um, and, and Zacchaeus had much, and he left it all. And here's a man with little, and he left what he had. And he followed the Lord Jesus Christ. He's now eternal child of God. He's a joint heir with Jesus Christ. He's a seat re- uh, reserved for him at the Father's table. He was blind, and now he sees. This is our Lord. What about you? Are you still blind here today? Has Jesus opened your heart? Have you cried out, Son of David, Jesus Christ, equal with God, have mercy on me? I pray you've done that. Please do that today. I beg you, if God's stirring in your heart, that's possibly him bringing you to repentance. It's possibly him giving you faith to cry that out. Don't leave here. Meet with somebody. Come down front. There's many of us here that would love to lead you to Christ. Brothers and sisters, if you're here, get in behind Jesus. Get so close to him that the dust of his footsteps gets on you. Do not vary off from the left to the right. There's nothing good out there. We're following our master now. Amen? Father, thank you for this beautiful story. This man had a divine appointment with you. But he is no different than each and every person in this room or the person hearing this message by the sound of my voice that has become a Christian, Lord. Each one of us had a divine appointment. You knew us from the foundations of the world. All that the Father gives, you will lose none of them. We are a gift from the Father to you, and we praise you for that. We are blind. We were blind. We were beggars. We had nothing to offer. And your mercy caused us to cast aside everything and follow you. Thank you for blind Bartimaeus. (laughs) He's us. He's us. Thank you for him. Lord, he has encouraged us, and particularly it's encouraged us what the great God, the son of David, the king of glory did on that day. Lord, we ask that you continue to do that. Use our church to draw people to you. Use us individually as we share the gospel with people. What a great message, Lord, to remind us that you still save. We praise you for that in Jesus' name. Amen.